today on the 21st Century Classroom. When the school systems were created, it was to produce factory workers. So Ford could have workers for their assembly lines and could make cars, and they all knew basic information and could all say the same facts. It was like a, like a standardized person, pretty much, being produced into the workforce. Um, and for those assembly line jobs, that's what they needed. But nowadays, that's not what people need. We need creative thinkers that can look at a problem and figure out how to solve it, not be able to recite Shakespeare. Unless that's what they're learning about, and then they should recite it all. My name is Life Ligeros, and welcome to the 21st Century Classroom. Today we're heading to Champlain Valley Union High School in Hinesburg, Vermont. We're going to meet three wonderful students, a sophomore, a junior, and a senior. We're going to hear from them what they find meaningful about school and their thoughts on the evolution of schooling in Vermont and beyond. We're going to talk about equity in schools, and we're going to spend some serious time discussing proficiency-based learning. Does it work? Is it an improvement over the traditional grading system? And how does it affect students as they apply to college? Let me introduce you to Heidi, Beckett, and Yuli. Um, I'm Heidi. I'm a sophomore at uh, CVU. My name is Beckett. I'm a junior at CVU. And I'm Yuli, and I'm a senior at CVU. CVU stands for Champlain Valley Union High School. It's located on the edge of the Green Mountains, and it's the largest high school in Vermont. It has a reputation for not just being progressive, but unabashedly student-centered. Now, student-centered learning is kind of a buzzword. It can mean a lot of different things. So we're hoping that these CVU students will tell us exactly what student-centered learning really looks like in action. The three students we spoke with are all enrolled in a class called Think Tank at CVU. It's a course that encourages students to speak up about education issues. Think Tank students are encouraged to develop new ideas for school and to try them out in a supported and structured manner. Think Tank student projects have included things like how to reduce stress in applying to and being rejected from college, educating teachers about mental health issues and students, and introducing flexible furniture in classrooms. But does all this flexibility equal meaningful learning? What do you find most meaningful about school? I would say just sort of the opportunity to be able to learn more and get more information and just sort of like the, all the resources that we have, at least here at CVU, to be able to pursue information and knowledge. Yeah, I think going off of what Beckett just said, I think um, definitely like when you like have some kind of opportunity in whatever class where you're suddenly like, whoa, this is like so cool, like I really want to learn about it, like those moments like that for me um, are just amazing and like I wish I could get more of them out of school, but when they happen, they really stick with you. And for me, it's, it's a little different. I really like kind of the structure and, I don't know, just having a place to go every day. It's, it's one thing I really like. I, I struggle with not having structure, and I don't always, like, take advantage of certain things when I don't kind of have someone telling me I kind of have to do it a little bit. And so it's really nice as, like, without school, I don't really know what I'd be doing. I'd just kind of be sitting around for a bit until something came to me, but... It's, it's nice because it gives me kind of a framework to kind of go about 
doing what I want to do? Um, I think when I have uh, choice in a class, um, and usually project-based, um, so when I talk about like things that like have really stuck with me, a lot of them are from one class that I had in middle school for social studies, and it was completely choice-driven, lots of projects, and I could kind of like figure out what and like an overarching topic I was really into, and then I had the freedom to kind of figure out how I wanted to represent that and share my learning. Really any sort of classes that give kids the opportunity to, to think differently, like you give me the opportunity just to not think about things how you're supposed to normally think about them. Um, you, you just like more freedom to be able to question ideas and not just do the same thing over and over again, but figure out why. Um, I went during for, sorry, about middle school, um, for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, I went to the Waldorf school, um, which is super, it was like experiential and like really immersive, but it was definitely like, the, the, the whole philosophy is kind of like you, until you hit a certain age, you're not ready to learn things. So like, they won't teach reading and writing until third grade. And like, like it's definitely not like talent based or like how, what the kid understands, but it's like, once you get to this age, then you can move forward. So it's kind of it's kind of the opposite of the question, but like, I, there oftentimes I felt like I wanted to move forward, but they weren't letting me. So what I look for classes is when I can move forward and I can ask those questions, and I can be like, well, that doesn't make sense. I need to figure that out. Mm. What do teachers do to like create that environment where you feel like you can question things? Um, honestly, I think like a lot of conversational based classes yeah. when it's not like the teacher just lecturing, but when the teacher either proposes a question be like cool I'm going to just sit here and you guys talk about it and lets the kids freely think without any excess sort of thoughts and like controlling factors to what they're thinking may be tainted in any certain way and just let them come to discovery about the topic that they're learning. It's hard to do and it's hard to explain but when teachers can create that atmosphere where the kids are making their connections by themselves without saying there's a connection here find it Super interesting stuff, but what we're hearing from these students isn't new. Research in the fields of cognition, motivation theory, pedagogy, they all show that students learn best when they're engaged with their learning, when they're included as partners in the classroom, as active, valued participants in the conversation about their learning. Motivation and higher order thinking especially come to the fore in middle school. Where did you go to middle school? I went to middle school at Shelburne Community School. Okay, and so this was a class. What, what was, who was the teacher? Uh, Sam Nelson. Uh huh. So can you like what kind of project did you work on that you that, that you still remember? Just give just yeah. exactly what you're saying. Um, just give an example of one um, that we did. We did one of these every single year, and he still has all of his classes doing every year. Was a historical avatar journal where whatever unit we were in, we basically um, created some kind of person that um, was living in that event or time period, and then we wrote from their perspective. Um, so I wrote one, like during the Revolutionary War, I was like a teenage boy who was, um, he was a loyalist living with um, a family that were, that were all patriots and stuff um and it was just like really interesting to get to like kind of think about like what life might have been like and what maybe thoughts go through their head well even in like stuff like book groups you kind of like all right this is the thing that happened mm -hmm. and 
We actually, I've had a lot more like book groups kind of deal in middle school than in high school. And yeah. It's just like, all right, we'll read this chapter and like, all right, what do you think about these things? And then you kind of have a conversation from there. I think oftentimes with students, it's, it's a lot easier to have, all right, with, with a teacher, it seems a lot more like black and white, kind of like, this is like, like yes or no. And with a student, it's kind of, I feel like that we're both coming from a similar part of not having the experience beforehand. So we're both kind of like, this is my opinion and perspective on this deal. And this is your perspective on this deal. And it's that kind of relationship seem, is, is a little different from someone who has the experience and has the knowledge beforehand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever you're a kid, you're kind of always taught, like, the adults have the answers, they know what to do. So in classroom experience, kids aren't going to question what the adults say. And when the adults say something, it's just the truth. But when they can talk with their peers and you can discuss things, you're like, wait, I don't agree with that. And it fosters that curiosity into what you're learning. I think there is a certain level of truth in that kind of, like, that teachers have more experience sometimes about stuff. And I think an important part is a lot of times when the students are asking students, a lot of the things that they're kind of coming into contact, uh, conflict with and thinking about are things that wouldn't be, like, what the teacher initially expects. Mm -hmm. And so either would be, like, written off or just, like, instead of, like, digging deep, it's just... I don't know, they have the experience, and so it just is automatic for them. Mm-hmm. And it allows from, like, having two students talks, it, it's kind of about having two people who don't have the experience and don't have the prior knowledge being able to kind of work things out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, I agree, and I think just really it goes back to that, like, questioning thing, that it's okay to question yeah. your peers, but it feels like, you're not supposed to question your teacher because your teacher's teaching you about it. And so I think that difference makes a sh- like that difference makes such a huge impact on um, how these conversations are carried out. Um, and I don't know if like teachers realize that when they're like looking at all the conversations that the students are having, but from the student perspective, I think that a lot of us feel that way. Mm. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned choice before, mm-hmm. right? And um, you know, some people think of choice or student voice as being something that can be really engaging for students, but it's a really hard thing for teachers because mm-hmm. there's this like, you know, age-old hierarchy in schools that we're that we're just touching on, right? The teachers are the yeah. experts; mm-hmm. they're in control, and then the students are there to to learn from them. And things like choice and voice start to challenge that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering, do you feel like, uh, you know, when when people talk about traditional schooling where the adults were in charge and the students basically were there to be passive learners, um, do you feel like things are drastically different from your experience than that? I think that they should be in a lot of cases because when the school systems were created, it was to produce factory workers. So Ford could have workers for their assembly lines and could make cars and they all knew basic information and could all say the same facts. It was like a a standardized person, pretty much, being produced into the workforce. Um, And for those assembly line jobs, that's what they needed. But nowadays, that's not what people need. We need creative thinkers that can look at a problem and figure out how to solve it, not be able to recite Shakespeare. Unless that's what they're learning about, and then they should recite it all. But um, 
I think that schools are starting to make that change, but people are too stuck to that old traditional not wanting change that in a lot of places it's not not working out so well that transition yeah. um but i think it should and it's good that that movement is pushing towards change in a lot of places having students take such an active part in their learning is still pretty revolutionary but a fundamental piece of this change is totally straightforward allowing students and teachers to adopt roles in the classroom that let them be partners in learning it dramatically changes the landscape. That move toward a more democratic classroom, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. So Beckett's totally right. The overarching narrative of education in this country involves schools that were set up more than 100 years ago to meet our economic needs of that time. We needed workers with basic skills who could be molded into factory jobs, just like the widgets they were creating could be applied to different products. In Vermont, one of the ways schools are evolving is under Act 77, legislation that calls for the implementation of personalized learning. That includes proficiency-based learning. CVU instructional coaches Stan Williams and Emily Rinkema co-authored a new book, a fantastic book, about proficiency-based learning. They call it standards-based learning. They're also the facilitators of the think tank course at CVU that Heidi Beckett and Yuli all take part in. While Act 77 requires schools to implement proficiencies by 2020, CVU has been ahead of the curve on trying it out. But how do these students feel about it? And so that around that, like you're talking about like proficiency-based learning. Yeah. 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 So how how is that going here? Like are there are there some success, like what's what's the how what's the mess to success ratio on this on that one? I think it depends on the teacher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some teachers, like, have it, like, are pretty good with, like, you know, explaining what all your targets mean, like, how to get through four, all that stuff. And other teachers, I think, are still kind of stuck more in, like, the, like, ABC, DF grading. And, you know, I think yeah. that gets really complicated really fast for everybody involved mm-hmm. when you have that connection. And... Yeah, it, I mean, I think I've been lucky that a lot of the teachers I've had so far have been more on the, like, um, you know, understanding side of it. Um, but I know I have an older sister who was here, like, right when they started changing it, and I know she, there were some very tough classes just with the grade aspect because the teachers just weren't quite sure how to teach that way. Yeah. And I think, like, since we're fortunate enough to be at a school mm-hmm. that's, one of the schools that are actually starting to push forward compared to like other ones that also means we get more of like the messiness involved with like figuring out how to implement it in a good way for the students and the teachers Mm -hmm. because it hasn't been done before so like obviously there's going to be trial and error but I think like that's hard to see from like anyone's perspective in the school because like students are like well I want to like you know know what like the expectations in our class and I want to know what my grades look like and it just gets confusing and it can be hard to kind of see like in the long run how this is going to benefit like people beyond just you it makes it even it makes it really challenging when also exactly like you're saying we're the first ones to be doing it so the rest of the system hasn't changed mm-hmm. to how we're looking at it mm-hmm. so sure we might be trying to push forward and have like moved towards a place where there's no grades and you're not focused around this 
carrot and stick type of motivation, but getting students to actually be excited about learning. But you can't really do that because you still need grades for colleges. And when it comes down to it, a lot of students are like, well, that's the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I'm caring about this. So it's really hard to be the first ones to change that because everyone else around you isn't. And you're, you're kind of left like, am I going to be penalized for trying to push forward with this? It, it's kind of hard, yeah. It's really hard. What, why is it complicated when they still have one foot in both wor- worlds? Um, I think that, you know, you're kind of grading... I think, like, the point is that you're grading something different um, with the new type of grading than the old type because it's supposed to be less, like, you know, memorization, like, spit out the information you learned. It's more, like, applying. And so, you know, they're not... They're not ones that, like, you can just kind of lump together and be like, okay, so we'll, like, grade how I used to using this new form of grading, you have to really, like, rethink how it is, and, I mean, I totally understand, like, if you've been teaching, like, and suddenly it changes, it's, like, it's, like, hard to do that, and so, yeah. I want to add to this, because one thing, when I, when I think about, like, the successes and challenges between, like, different teachers, one thing that really sticks out to me is how, like, standards-based grading is very easy, and, like, you can tell in, like, math classes. Mm-hmm. When things are a lot like you did this right or you didn't, and stuff that like more humanities based stuff, yeah, it, you have a lot more variance in how successful it's been, and I think that goes right in with what you were saying about how, uh, uh, like, how do I put this? In? Like, the the like what you're trying to grade for, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to kind of see that in something that's like with a math class where it's where you have this. You're doing it or not, like, I don't know, multiplication facts is, like, an easy example as to, like, whether or not you're truly analyzing a story correctly. It's a very, like, very, like, difficult thing to grade or score whether or not you've met the standard for or something. Mm -hmm. Because they're just more complex skills? Well, the way you'd go about it is, is different. Like, there's a... I don't know. There's a lot more work. It kind of feels into being able to say whether or not you've met the standard in something where it's a lot. It's not as black and white, kind of yes or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really. It's hard. To, you'd have to to really understand it and get it and have this sort of way of grading be successful. Both the teacher has to jump into it fully, as well as the students. Um, which makes it, if one side isn't in a particular class or a different setting, it really just sets the whole thing off balance. Um, and people are stuck in their traditions, and they don't want them to change because it's how they've always been doing it, just like you guys have been sort of saying. Um, yeah, it's, it's really just trying to convince people that it is a good idea and that it will work. So when you're... It's funny because you said you know it's working well for some teachers... I can see you guys like going to a class with a new teacher and basically thinking at the beginning, hmm, how is this going to work out? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so how long does it take to get a read on that? And what kind of early moves do teachers make that you're like, okay, cool, this person gets it. I think this is going to be okay as far as the scoring aspect goes. Reassessments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, what, what do you look for? So, like, I don't know. That's, this is where the most kind of variance is, or at least in my opinion, is like whether or not 
like how teachers so we have a thing called habits of learning and it's about like uh your kind of engagement levels and that kind of stuff and it's kind of in parallel with your actual like whether or not you're meeting the standards and like some teachers link like whether or not you're able to reassess on that and like or they just have some weird arbitrary like if you did well on this and like if you handed in all your homeworks you can do this or I had one class where it's like if you corrected this one sheet you'll get a good grade on this and yet that has no like correlation to uh, uh, like reassessment policy and so that's one of the first kind of things that you see that you uh, that you can tell like where the teachers kind of coming from and their kind of their ideas about how everything should kind of fit together because there's a lot of different moving parts with uh, the kind of standards-based learning and so that's an easy way to see their kind of like overall plan of how they all fit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in standards-based grading, any test you take, you can if you don't like your grade or you think that you can show better learning or more understanding. Improvement, yeah. Yeah, improvement. You can re-test re- and reassess on that information. Um, so they, exactly like Yuli was saying, it's just that sort of like tangible assessment of does the teacher understand what this is for? Because it, it's looking at learning and not like you either can do it on this date or you can't do it on this date and that decides if you're good at it or not. It's sort of like, do you have an understanding of the content? And if you don't have that understanding right now, but if you want to put in more work and then be able to show that understanding, that's totally fine because you're still putting in that work to get that understanding. Mm-hmm. So on both, so you can look at a teacher and on both sides, if they either don't let you reassess and say, no, you can't do that, then that shows that they, they're not understanding sort of the value of standards-based grading and everything you do, as well as the other side, if they just, without doing any other work and just like, yeah, sure, just take it again. And like, like not testing anything else or not relying like if you have to do another worksheet or prove that you've done more learning to then take it again that also shows that because it's just letting the kids have a redo as many times as they want to and eventually they're going to hit all the right answers I mean that's just statistically if you take it 10 times you're going to figure out what types of questions are on there Um, which one could argue that's also could be learning how to do it but right sort of the middle of that where the kids, the teacher sort of encourages the kids to do more learning and have more understanding. And then once they do, let them reassess. I think that sort of like shows a pivotal understanding of standard-based grading and how it can be applied. Yeah, I completely agree with what they just said. Are there other cues that you look for to see see how things are going to work from a proficiency lens when you're when you're working with a new teacher in a new course? having a teacher like really like make sure that the that we <laughs> um that we uh understand like what exactly we're looking for in the targets and you know which skills we're supposed to be applying stuff i think when they really put focus on that that shows that they um you know whether they're like totally there or not they're at least um trying to do their best for um you know teaching using standards um and then I think that like in the class where I don't get that it definitely feels less um standards driven and more um you know memorization driven it's, it's sort of maybe like the way you were saying it sort of shows if the teachers can advocate to the students what these standards are and what they mean 
and how to meet them and what their sort of expectations for the class is looking like, it shows the teacher understands yes. that. And because the, they, you have to really be able to understand something to be able to show someone else or teach someone else. So it shows that the, the teacher has an understanding of how the targets are going to be used, and therefore they'll have an understanding about how those realistic targets. So what are they called? Um, KUIs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How they're they're applicable to the classroom and life and standards-based grading. And everything. I want to continue on that because so, sometimes you'll get a KUI. Uh, KUI. You might have said KUA. KUD. That's what it is. No understand and K- do. Yeah. Like yeah. The three categories. Mm-hmm. Ah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. KUD. KUD. Yeah. So with that is you, you see kind of what the actual targets are and the actual standards that. But yet again, with those, sometimes the standards are very specific to the content you're learning. Like I know how to apply like in like a history class I know how a, a loyalist would reaction would be to so and so and that when they're that specific sometimes you can kind of see like oh it's we're just everything's kind of focused on this unit which is I don't know I have a very different reaction to seeing that to seeing like being able to analyze like primary sources something like that that's like broad and will apply to not only this unit but to every unit. Mm-hmm. It's I I don't know. I like that a lot more and it I kind of I Yeah. Know. That's sort of the goal of standards based grading to get yeah. all the targets there and transition away from any content based targets and more widely applicable mm-hmm. skill based targets. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think like if there's a skill that you're using like multiple units, like you know that like like, it might be feel annoying sometimes. Like, I know I get annoyed when I'm like, oh, I just got assessed on this. But, like, that's when you have to remember, like, okay, but would I rather, like, do something and then, like, that's it? Or have something that's going to be an important skill that I can use for the rest of my life? And, I mean, that's really what standards-based learning is all about. And I think, you know, students don't always want to see that. Because um, it's easier sometimes to just you know, do one thing for one unit and then do another thing for another unit. But if you, like, really think, like, far into, like, your future, like, what's going to come in handy, it's things that are transferable. Right. And I think that that sometimes can be a hard thing for students as well. Like, you talked about teachers and students have to be on the same page. Is like you were saying, that with students, there's also just these, like, very practical, well, that's great, you know, I want to have things I can learn for my whole life that are transferable, but I also need to get into college, and I need to make sure I'm sort of playing the game right. Exactly. Right? Any advice to other students from out there, middle school, high school, like how to approach this stuff and get the most out of it if your school's going in this direction? I think that having a really strong understanding of how the system works and how it's used and how it applies to your classes really helps you, because then you can go back and then not be confused about something. Because if you're confused about something, you're just a tool in the system, you're not going to be able to use it to help you with that. Um, and I mean, it, everyone thinking about this and designing this whole system, they have that backup plan as well. If like, I mean, they know that it still rise around GPAs and SAT and all these scores. I mean, a lot of colleges are switching to SAT, op- like test optional and all this different stuff. But as of now, it's still in that transition phase. So not being stressed out and feeling like, oh no, I'm not gonna have these 
things and I'm not going to be able to get into college because those things are built in. And if you understand where they come from, you can know where to apply going back and reassessing and all these different things to make sure that that part's there as well as it gives you that understanding for life. Um, as well as, so if you're thinking like college focused, a lot of colleges also, they're looking at what the school gives you. So if, if let's say, for example, if your school doesn't offer any APs, they're not gonna discredit you or take points off from your application because you haven't taken APs. It's just not what your school offered. Um, Where did you hear that? Um, just sort of doing college research and different stuff. I mean, it depends on the college, not all colleges will, yeah. but. A lot of colleges, from what I've heard and like put in research, they're not going to penalize you for something you don't have access to. Mm. Um, and if your school goes all in and like no longer gives you grades or anything like that, maybe it might be a problem, but I don't think any school would jump off and do that until the whole system around it's changed. Mm. Anything else for students? For me, I think... There's an important aspect of balance in school where all right, there's certain things that need to be done if you want to go into college. It's like no, no matter how much of a change is going to be, there's always going to be a little bit where you have to like, I have to take these classes in order to graduate kind of deal. And I, I feel like at, at some point, as of now, that's unescapable. But at the same time, you want to balance that with taking things that like either you haven't taken before and kind of using it as a place to explore and I think things like that where there aren't really those kind of school penalties you should kind of focus more on doing something that either is new or is interesting to you that is something else and trying to I don't know balancing exploring with uh like doing the, like, I want to do this for my future kind of deal. Because mm. there's, there's a whole lot of that, like, I don't know, setting myself up for the future that you don't actually know at this point, like, I don't know, what truly interests you. Like, if you take, a, I don't know, an art class that you've never taken before and are really into art, you would never have known that if you haven't had taken that class. Mm. And it's, I don't know, try and balance is my advice, is... The, like, taking things that aren't going to, like, better you in the future just because you're interested and you're going to have fun with it and it's going to be something new. And with actual, like, the diving into setting yourself up. Hmm. Yeah, I think this kind of jumps off of what you're saying, but, like, keep an open mind because um, I know I can sometimes, like, make snap judgments, especially about something in school where I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem like fun, I don't like it. But... You know, like, if you allow yourself to, like, explore lots of opportunities and, like, really kind of just take advantage of a time where you have all these options, especially in a school like CBU where we have so many different types of classes, like, and you just, like, try them and, like, you'll be surprised and find something maybe that you like. And maybe you hate it, but, like, at least you know that and you didn't just say, you know what, I don't think I like it. I don't think I like it so like I'm just not even going to touch it mm. like you actually like you know took a risk and you know tried something new at this moment we need education to fundamentally change economically because we need flexible innovative workers who can thrive in a knowledge-based economy politically because we need citizens who can think critically and problem solve the huge problems of the world
and practically, because we're just now beginning to grapple at an effective level with issues of equity in our schools. CVU is one of a handful of schools around Vermont where the students successfully lobbied the administration and school boards to fly the Black Lives Matter flag. It was an action the school's student-led racial action committee had been working towards for two full years, and it was not without controversy, as you might imagine. The students wrote newspaper op-eds, they collected signatures of support from the community, and they presented their proposal to the school board on three separate occasions to get this done. This all came after a spate of racist and anti-Semitic graffiti was found on the school campus. Are there students at this school that you feel are fighting for equity? Yes. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, equity in education is very broad and a very tough topic yeah. to tackle because um, there's so many angles to come at it from. And there's also so many different levels of inequity in education. Like, it could be, like, the school itself is... Um, it's not at the same level as, like, some other schools or, like... You know, there could be, it's more just, like, the students aren't, like, as listened to as, like, in other schools, or it could be, like, something completely different, but I just feel like there's so many ways that there can be inequity in school, like, just, like, with anything, like, Mm -hmm. that there's so much that, like, you know, people are working on right now and that people still need to work on, but, you know, it's not an easy problem to fix. Yeah, and as, as as students, we can talk and like make sure that our voices are heard, but whether or not they're listened to is kind of up, not really up to us. Yeah. It's kind of up to the administration. And there's also a, uh, we recently had uh, like uh, our RAC Racial Alliance Committee, which I think started only this year. Yeah. Um, like went in front of the school board, had like multiple meetings with them, and we got the Black Lives Matter flag raised. Mm-hmm. And like, there's there's different like justice groups around the school. We have a a club that's all about like, um, like being a. Uh, I'm trying to forget. I don't remember the name. It's like the something. It's, uh, it's a club where it's kind of like, just go and it's all about uh supporting people with uh, disabilities in our school. And we have a lot of, like, clubs that actually... Unified sports and stuff? Yeah, unified sports too, but this is, like, an actual club. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a big conversation in Vermont right now, right? With the flag raisings. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, I think a lot of, you know, educators are trying to figure out what how to handle this Um, you know because I think when we think about old paradigms of schooling there was um, you know a certain widespread belief that schooling should be neutral you know that teachers should never show their hands in terms of what you know political party they support Mm -hmm. you know um, or even how they feel on different policies or things like that we're not here to indoctrinate kids we're just here to give them knowledge Mm -hmm. And um, there's a counter-argument to that that says it's never neutral, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, By not saying something, you're teaching um, something as well. So uh, I think people in Vermont are trying to figure out, like, what is the role of Vermont schools for addressing these sorts of issues? You know, most of our schools are mostly white. 
So should these conversations be happening? How early should they be happening? Should they yep. be happening mm -hmm. in middle school? Um, so I don't know if you guys address those kind of topics when you were in middle school or what your thoughts are on, you know, when kids can handle these kind of things and, and how they should be going about thinking about them. I think that kids are, uh, sort of you're talking about like when they're ready to handle things like that. And I think when they start asking questions and when they start wanting to handle it, I think that's when the conversation should be had. And really like based on the students. When they yeah. start to be like, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't seem fair. Then giving them, I mean, it's hard because there is that like, you don't want to like have political beliefs be in school, but if you present like things like our, the Black Lives Matter flag, like, it was presented not as a political movement, but as a way to empower students who aren't as um, privileged in the school. Um, yeah, I think it really, oh, sorry, wait, yeah. just letting the students talk about it and letting their voices be heard is really important. Also, like, a really important part with, like, the raising the Black Lives Matter flag is it wasn't, like, this is the administration's, like, we're doing this. Yeah. It was the students mm -hmm. came together and they presented it to the administration. They got signatures from around the school and brought that to the uh, school board. And I think that's, that's very different than, like, trying to show your hand. If it's something that the, the actual community and the students or like this is the thing we want to do. This is a problem uh, in our school that like we're not having conversations about race and stuff. And I think that's a certain part about when it should be in schools is when students actually themselves feel like all right, this has gotten to the point where we need to to talk about this and we need to bring this up to the to the the uh, the administration and stuff like that. That's I feel like that's very different. Yeah. That if mm -hmm. when the students are yeah. pushing it, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just think, yeah, just what you guys were just saying that like when the students bring it forward, like that's when you know. And I think our school's done a good job about um, kind of when students bring something forward like this, listening to them and trying to support them the best they can. Um, but I mean, I think it's so much more effective when you see students pushing for some kind of change like this. Um, and you know, whether, like, I think in the classroom, like, you do have to kind of learn, like, how to navigate these situations, um, and stuff, but, like, that doesn't mean that, like, teachers have to take sides, but I think it would be nice if, like, you kind of learned how to navigate political situations and, like, had an understanding of political issues that are going on, because, I mean, especially in high school, like, a lot of like kids are getting close to being able to vote and stuff and it's really important that we're educated on topics that we're going to be voting on and so you don't have to pick a side when you teach that you can just be like here are the facts here's like make up your own decisions but I think it is important that we talk about tough topics um, and we can leave it completely neutral but I do think that it needs to be talked about in some capacity. I think that's where that those conversational based classes <laughs> exactly yeah. where that comes back in because the teachers can be like, here are the facts, and then let the students talk about it. And if yeah. it's in that conversation, the students can actually address it and really get into it without having that other 
as you said, the teacher showing their hand and sh- putting their beliefs in to try to shape how the students see it. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, I know, like, a huge issue with politics is people being, like, well, they don't agree with me, so, like, they're, like, other, like, mm-hmm. I just, like, yeah. can't. The us versus yeah, them yeah. mentality. And, like, like, when you open it up to, like, have those discussions, and, like, you really get to hear from, like, people who have different opinions than you, and, like, you start to see, like, okay, so, like, I can see where you're coming from, and, like, while I disagree, I respect you for that, like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's learning how to disagree and yes. mm-hmm. being civil in that conversation because, I don't know, I'll, in a classroom setting, I can't see, like, a bunch of kids just sitting there yelling at each other just no, for, like, no. 20 minutes. It's, I, it's, it's, there's, like, intentional structures in school that, like, kind of already kind of work their way around that. And I think this is a great kind of place to... Uh, I don't know, have the structures in place to learn what it's like to be in disagreement and yet still go to class with someone the next day. Mm-hmm. Right. But disagreement yeah. with understanding. Yes. Fighting for equity in Vermont schools is a huge deal. In fact, I think it's the absolute central issue of education in our times. And if we want students to be able to participate, we have to give them the knowledge and skills to do so. But we also have to make sure that they actually believe that they're going to be heard. That true change is going to happen. In that way, equity is the basis of and very much parallels the implementation of proficiency-based learning. We need students to believe that they can be a part of this change. We need to listen to them to make it work. It's up to us, adults, as well as our schools, to listen. I hope that you want to continue to listen. If you want to hear more from the CBU Think Tank students, they're all maintaining blogs as part of the course. They talk about these issues and many more, and we'll include a link at the full transcript on our blog. The 21st Century Classroom is the podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. This episode was produced by Audrey Holman and by me, Life Ligeros. Thank you to Stan Williams for hooking us up with these wonderful students. Thank you so much, Heidi, Beckett, and Yuli, for being willing to share your insights. Our theme music is by Mizong and Yiflex, and you can find out more about the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education by visiting us at tarrantinstitute.org. Thank you, as always, for listening.